Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. And... Good evening, everybody, and thank you for choosing King Jordan Radio for Wednesday, October 22nd, 2014. This is King Jordan you're listening to. On tonight's show, you will hear from a relationship life coach expert. But before we do that, let me remind you that the uh, interview we had with CNN's Joey Jackson and defense attorney Tom Mesereau is in the archive section. Uh, it's doing very well, so you might want to check that out. Just go to the archives. It was a wonderful interview we did uh, a couple of days ago. But for now, uh, let me uh, bring in... She is a relationship expert. She's also a life coach. Uh, she's on iHeartRadio. Um, her name is Marie, and she joins us now. Good evening, Marie, and welcome to King Jordan Radio. How are you? Great. Hi, Jordan. So good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I go through uh, YouTube a lot, and I uh, found you, and I was so mesmerized that I had to bring you on this show. <laughs> Well, I'm so glad that you're mesmerized. That's the first time anyone has ever used that word, so I love it. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, enough about uh, that. Let me let's get into you. Let let me get let the uh, listening audience get a little bio of yourself before we proceed. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm a life coach, and I've been um, on YouTube for about five years now. And I have, let's see, I think 28,000 subscribers and lots and lots of views, and it's really fun. I love it. (laughs) And I'm having a great time. Yes, yes. And, and, you know, one of the topics that hit home with me um, is you you talked about real and true friends. And uh, and I want to get into that. Um, I think I... Might have heard you say you're good if you have two or three real good friends. Can you right. get into that a little bit? Yeah, I Can think that people well they want to surround themselves with friends, and and I think the biggest mistake that people make is they think that if they share all kinds of personal information really fast, that people will get close to them, and they'll have all these instant really really close friends right away, and it doesn't work like that. I think that if you have one or two people who have your back, who you can feel really, really close to your whole life, you're lucky. And most of the time it's just, yeah, some so-so friends, and then they come and they go, and your life changes, and so do your friends. And that's, I think that's more typical. So my, my point is don't spill your guts to somebody right away thinking you're going to get close to them because you're going to get burned. And uh, usually in the beginning of a friendship, the friend seems to be very nice and 
you know, it seems like you could be best friends with this person, but as the the weeks go by, you find out that this friend is capable of backstabbing you. Is yeah. that accurate? Oh, yeah, and gosh, I've seen that so many times. People will comment on my channel. They'll be like, I thought she was my good friend or he was my really good friend, and I trusted this person, and I told them something really confidential, something really personal, and then it was all over, whatever, the workplace, school, wherever, and they were so betrayed and so hurt. And I don't know why people are like that, why people want to hurt other people, but they do, and they're out there, and they – will cause you so many problems. You just have to keep your guard up for a while. And I'm not saying that you can't let anybody in because you should, and that's what life's about. You just have to be careful, and you have to take your time. And believe me, if someone is talking to you about somebody else and gossiping and saying nasty things, it's going to be you. It's going to be you next time for sure. Oh, no question. And, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, but as I said in the beginning, though, they're, they're very quick, uh, these so-called fake friends, uh, right. to be very sweet and charming and everything. Like the honeymoon uh, stage, if you will. Uh, you know, you think you met the best friend since, uh, since ever, and then they'll do something that have you scratching your head so much. Very weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think people think that they have, like, friends that they look for, people – that they want to hang out with, that they feel has something in common with them. But I think your really good friends end up being somebody that you don't even really have anything in common with. Somebody that maybe you would never think that you'd want to even be friends with that person. So I think that's a lot of it. And so don't be so judgmental about other people. Be friends with people who you'd be like, well, why would I even – Talk to this person. Well, why not? <laughs> the way I look at it. No, I totally agree. And what if you have uh, a friend? Well, you did this on one of your videos. Um, maybe a, a lady friend, in my case, a lady friend, just, just for an example. And she just wants to be friends on social media. Uh, you think that's a big no-no, right? Oh, so wait, now what's the situation? You don't, she doesn't want to meet you or you don't want to meet her in real life and you just want to be friends in social media and not, not in real life? Is that it? Well, I'm throwing a hypothetical at you, yes. Oh, 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 okay. Yeah, I mean, and I run into that a lot on YouTube because people, they can edit themselves. When you are sitting there typing, you can put your best foot forward, but it's harder to communicate face-to-face. Because then you can't edit yourself so easily, and you have to be yourself. So I don't know. You can't hide behind a computer for very long. You really can't. You've got to get out there and really talk. And I think that's a lot of the problem. People are too afraid to communicate face-to-face, and then they they try to be somebody they're not, and that just doesn't work. you just got to put yourself out there, throw the cards on the table. Look, this is me. You don't like it, so what? And I get that a lot, that people want to please other people too badly. And you can't do that because they're going to figure out the real you eventually. So you might as well be yourself right now. And like you said, romantic relationships, don't have this picture of who you want to be with, who you think your potential spouse is. Again, like I said with friendships, look at people who you may not even have given a second, a second glance at. 
But give this person a shot because you never know. Don't be judgmental in your friendships or in your potential spouses, in in, in boyfriends or girlfriends. Really, really be open-minded because you don't know who you're going to really click with. And it could be somebody totally different from what you had in mind, totally not your quote-unquote type. And uh, there are the people that play the head games, and, you know, some people tell me that they have trouble deleting the people because they're the nice ones, but they can't get themselves to just get rid of that person. Yeah, what would you say to somebody that... Oh, you mean like you've got a toxic friend? You mean you have a toxic friend? And you have a hard time yeah. letting go. Yeah, I know. And, and and that's the hardest thing. But if someone's betrayed you, and sometimes they just so badly want to be in your life that you just have to uh-uh, say goodbye. And don't return the calls. Look, you don't have to be friends with anybody you don't want to be friends with, period. So you don't have to return the call, and you don't have to talk to them. And I know we all want to be nice and, and just kind of scoot away and – say bye, let's kind of keep in touch, but not really. And some people get that message, and other people you are like, okay, don't call me ever, <laughs> because that's sometimes the only way to get someone who's toxic out of your life. <laughs> no question. And yeah. uh, it, you you have done um, a lot of videos, and why don't you give out your, uh, your address uh, so the uh, listening audience can find you on YouTube. Oh, sure, and it's YouTube.com slash Marie Dubuque, and it's M-A-R-I-E and then D-U-B-U-Q-U-E. But you can also type in, and you can search for me, Marie D-U-B in the search, and I'll show up somewhere. To me, I posted some of your videos on my Facebook and the Twitter so you could uh, get the, you could definitely check her out. She is awesome, but as I said before, and uh, definitely has uh, one of the best advices I've ever seen. But I wanted to ask you about, you know, you discussed uh, about uh, texting and people not getting back to you right away. Uh, there's also people that uh, instant message you on Facebook and not decide not to get back to you like in an hour or so. What do you think of people like that? You are first of all, you are so kind, Jordan, to say those nice things. I wish everybody would just like you, but anyway. But anyway, um, yeah, people. You mean people don't get back to you fast enough? Is that and then people get upset? Your friends get upset when you don't get back to them fast enough. I know. What is this? What is this with this instant communication? I want to talk to you right now, and I'm not going to wait. What is that about? God, it used to be 24 hours. You know, now it's like if you don't get back to somebody in five seconds, they get mad. I'm like, okay, you know why? Because this is a me, me generation, and I just get so tired of it. You know what? Other people have lives too, so get over it is what I try to tell them. Don't you feel like that, Jordan, like, that everybody is so self-involved? And I don't know, and I, I keep asking myself, well, why? And is it, is it the technology? Is it all the social media? Is it we have to have everything right now because it's so immediate? But I do think that just people are just selfish, and, and I don't think it has to do with technology. I just think it has to do with they want what they want, and they have to have it now, and they don't care about other people, and that's just a personality thing. I don't know. What do you think? No, I totally agree, but then there are people like that uh, will talk to you on their terms. Like, uh, you'll you'll go to instant message them, whoever it might be, and uh, they don't want to talk, but when they need something, they'll come running to you as quick as can be. You know, that there are those kind of people out there, too. 
Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and and they drive you crazy. <laughs> yes. But and that's the thing, don't don't let the naysayers bring you down because a lot of times people will just try they're jealous of you. They're just they resent you. You got something that that they want that they don't have and so they're going to try to bring you down and don't let them. Don't allow that to happen. No question. Now you uh you did a, a video um should you try to reconnect with your lost uh loved someone uh, I think earlier today you did it um can you uh with someone you broke up with can you elaborate on that video that you did earlier today? Oh yeah. I got a comment from a young woman and she had dated this guy for three months a few years ago and they broke up but they were so young and they each said, Well maybe we'll date down the road and she's wanting to reconnect with him. She wants to try to get back together. And uh, I get real nervous about that for her because I feel like she's going to expect something and she's not going to get what she wants and she's not going to see the same person. He'll be cha- he'll be different. He's he's changed. She's changed. And she says, well, no, I'm not going to expect that much. And I am dating other people and everything. And But I'm, what I'm worried about is that she is going to date these guys and compare them to her first love and I don't know she's either going to get rejected by him or he's not going to be what she thought and it's not going to work out because once you date somebody and then a few years go by you look back at that relationship through rose-colored glasses you think wow that was such a great time in my life and when in fact you're just glossing over the bad parts and you're thinking about the good parts and uh, if you try to reestablish a relationship, it may not work out. So what I told her was, go ahead, sure, find him on Facebook or, tr- or run into him, whatever, but don't hold out any hope that it's that the Kindles will be refired, that it's all going to be happy and you'll be back together again and it'll be like it used to be, only better. And nah, don't think that and don't hope for that. And if it happens, wonderful, but, yeah, kind of – Take a step back and realize what what you're getting yourself into, and don't have, hold out any hope. That's the big message, I think. You also did a very good video that I found interesting. I want you to elaborate it on. It's called "How to Deal with People Who Are Full of Themselves and Are Fishing for Compliments." Uh, can you elaborate on that video? Oh yeah, it, it's like they have to be the center of attention. These drama kings and queens. And whatever your problem is, it's nothing compared to their problem. I mean, they will, and I think you mentioned this earlier, it's like you have to sit there for an hour and listen to them go on and on about some little thing that's going on in their life. And, and you're willing to do it, and that's all fine. But if you have something that you want to say that you need advice on or you want to talk to them about something that's bothering you, they have no time. They don't care. They they want nothing to do with you. What? That's nothing. My problem is so much bigger and so much worse, and, and my whole life is more important. So, I mean, no, those people, they're just attention seekers. You want nothing to do with them and get them out of your life. Right, right. Well, of course, it's easier said than done, but you have to you have to try your hardest, I guess, with what you're saying. Right, right, right. exactly. Another awesome video you made is how to deal with someone who plays head games and disrespects you. Now, I think a lot of the listening audience would like to know about that one. How do you deal with somebody like that? 
Yeah, and it's usually somebody you're dating, and they've drawn you in by being really nice and kind and just throwing out all the compliments, and you think this person is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then when they've gotten you under their thumb, that's when they start belittling you and putting you down, and you're not good enough, and this and that is wrong. And then what do you do? Well, you think, I know that this person is worthy of my staying in the relationship because look how it started out, and I know I can get that person back. And then they say they're sorry, and everything's fine for all, and they start all over again, again, belittling you, bringing you down, criticizing. So it becomes this vicious cycle. So what do you do? Do you stick it out or do you run? And I say, if you're not married and you don't have any kids and you don't have anything in the game, get out because it's not going to get better. And you just have to realize that this isn't the person that you fell in love with to begin with, but at least you found out their true colors before it's too late, before you invested years and years with this person. So it, it was a good lesson. Absolutely. This one I've also found very good. What do you do uh, when uh, when people don't? When excuse me. What do you do when people uh, don't believe you really have changed? Well, I, that happens when maybe you've hurt somebody and you really didn't mean it, or you did mean it and you really, really felt bad about it. And it was a long time ago and people still look at you like you were that person who betrayed them or hurt them in some way. And they don't, they don't think you've changed. They're holding a grudge. So what do you do? Instead of saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, which I'm sure you've done, but now put your money where your mouth is and really, really show them that you can change. And yeah, maybe they'll have nothing to do with you. But they know the people that you know. You're in the same social circle. So prove it by treating everyone else around you right, being a stand-up person, and it will get back to them that, yeah, you have changed. And people will tell them, look, you know, she's changed. She's not how she used to be. Give her a chance. So that's what you need to do. Don't grovel. Don't sit there and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, over and over again. Just prove it. That's what you need to do. Uh, absolutely. Also, another one that I found very interesting. What do you say when you're selfish? Well, when you're when you're were the selfish one in the friendship slash relationship. Oh, when you were, yeah, so along those same lines, it's like you were thinking about yourself all the time and you didn't give the other person the time of day. And all of a sudden the other person left because they're sick of it. So how do you win this person back? Well, you can, again, show them that you've changed. But even if you can't, even if this person won't take you back, you know what? You've learned the lesson. And in your next relationship, you're going to be a better person. And sometimes it just takes that. It takes one bad relationship. Either you were at fault, they were at fault, or the two of you were at fault, or it just didn't work. But you've learned from that. And the next relationship you're much better. And and you know what? We all go through those lessons, and they're really invaluable. Oh, no question. Uh, another one of your great videos that I liked is, uh, what do you do when you feel a friendship is slipping away? Oh, and you try to hold on, right? And you keep 
trying to get back into that person's life. And you know what? It, it doesn't work. You just look needy. And so if someone wants to leave the friendship and they're like, okay, I'm sorry, but we're not friends anymore or whatever they say, you just have to let it go. You really do because being needy and just constantly contacting them, well, what did I do? Why can't we be friends and why are you leaving? And, 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 and I thought you were my best friend and now you've betrayed me and now you're gone and I can't understand this and we've been friends for 10,000 years. And <laughs> No, you just let them go, let them go. But every six months or so, Send them a, a message, a text, uh, uh, contact them on social media saying, look, just checking in, see how you're doing. That's it. Keep it open-ended. Don't barrage them with questions or make them feel guilty or anything. Just say, you know, I just want to see how you're doing. That's it. They can respond or not. And maybe they'll come back into your life or maybe not. But you can't force anyone back into your life who doesn't want to be. And remember, it may have nothing to do with you. It could be that they want to be friends with other another group of people who have similar interests. They've moved on to another phase of their life. I've seen friendships end because people leave high school, they leave college, they get married, they have kids, other, and then maybe their other friends don't have kids, and so they don't feel anything in common anymore, all that. So you know what? It's just a part of life, and you got to get used to it, and you got to let them go. You really do. Right, right, and especially it's this hard. year with yeah, with the social media, you know, it's it's very easy to contact people these days, you know. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. And I know a lot of people don't even want they don't want to be in touch with people from their past. You know what I mean? I mean, that's why I don't really sometimes I don't want to be dredging up the past. So I'm not even on Facebook. Are you on face Well, you're on Facebook, right? Are you Jordan? Sometimes I say, unfortunately. (laughs) Well, I like Twitter. But see, I mean, sometimes it's too invasive, some of these. And you don't, and and, and all your so called friends on Facebook, they're not really your friends, of course. And sometimes you just don't want to keep in touch with all these people. It's too hard. It's too much work sometimes. (laughs) You can just press the block button, and uh, that person, if you really don't want to you know, have that person talk to you, uh, him or her, uh, you could make it so that account can never see you or hear from you ever again, you know? Right, right, right. And then if you get a friend request, you can kind of leave it idle, right? You don't have to really respond to it and that sort of thing. I know. Yeah, there's ways. Also, the feature that, you know, they, they won't see anything from you. Like uh, let's just say uh, John Doe, uh, I want I want to block John Doe. There's now a thing in Facebook where you could block them. So if they, even if they, they they try to type you, and they, they, nothing will come up. There'll be no URL. There'll be nothing. There'll be no link to to that person uh, that was blocked. So they can't. Now, have you do done anything. that? I'm going to ask you that. Have you done that, Jordan? Have you have you blocked anybody? <laughs> I've had to, yes. Uh, there were okay. some annoying people in my life that I had to block, uh, unfortunately. But uh, it, it's very easy. Once you block them, they're, they're gone. You know, a lot of people just think that you could you just press unfriend and then they could just uh, try to reach back to you. But, you know, if you go to settings, <laughs> maybe people are learning something now. You go to settings, and then you, you, you can actually block people's tool now also, which I found pretty cool. So it's, uh, yeah. you know. 
Yeah, and then same with I'm in not- real life. You got to. I mean, people, you, you've got to set your boundaries. I mean, just we always seem to want to really be nice to everybody, but you don't have to. You don't have to be friends with every single person. And if you've got a toxic person in your life, you can, you can get rid of them. I mean, block them in real life. Don't return their phone calls. And you don't have to be nice to everybody. And I, I, I'm guilty of that, too. I'm just nice to everybody, you know, no matter what. But I'm thinking, you know, I don't even like this person. Why would I? But, I mean, it's, it's, there's a difference between being polite and being and letting somebody into your life. Just the toxic people, keep them at a distance because they will bring you down. And a lot of them, that's their M.O. They try to bring you down. And yeah, that you don't need that because remember, friendships are a two-way street, and you want you want them to be kind to you, and you to be kind to them, and they have your back. And it's it's amazing to me that people they are really really picky with their relationships, their romantic relationships, but when it comes to friendships, they're like, okay, whatever, I'll be friends with everybody, and it doesn't matter. So it's funny that way. But I think you should be picky with everyone in your life. Is it true, uh, in your opinion, Marie, if you show less to whoever, whether it's a good friend, whether it's a relationship, if you don't show yourself as needy to this person, that they'll probably think more of you in the long run. Right, right. And and don't, right, exactly, exactly. And don't try to be who you're not. I, I get so many questions on YouTube. Well, I really want to impress this person and I really want them to like me. And I'm like, well, you can't get them to like you. You just got to be yourself. And if they like you, fine. And if they don't, they don't. And so what? It's their loss. And I can't get that through to people that you don't want to be someone you're not because eventually they're going to find out. <laughs> <laughs> your true personality is going to come out, so why not just let it all out right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no question. And then you have people that will even actually admit to talk to you when they're bored. You know, uh, what do you do with friends like that? Or what do you think of friends like so-called friends like that? Oh, yeah, so they have nothing better to do? Oh, yeah, well, I've got nothing better to do, so I'll call her or him. Yeah, and okay, so you treat them the same way. You've got nothing better to do. That's the only time you're going to get together with them. And that's only if everyone else has turned you down, you have nothing, completely nothing, I mean nothing better to do. Because those people, they're low, low on your list. And don't surround yourself with those people because, again, they're they're going to treat you badly. You don't need that. You just want to surround yourself with people who bring you up and not take you down. Because people are afraid to get rid of people in their lives that, oh, I've, I've been friends with so-and-so for 20 years, and I just can't let them go. And I'm like, well, what what do they bring to the table? What do they bring to the table? Think about it. You know, nothing but, but I guess, disappointment, <laughs> you yeah, can say. And you mentioned exercise in one of your videos. I don't remember which one. And I got to tell you, just, uh, you know, I, I, I was uh, – Watching uh, one of your videos Saturday, I believe it was, and I said, you know what? I uh, my bag is packed. I am going to the gym, and I went to the gym after watching one of your uh, archive videos. And boy, you feel like a, you know, you know what they say about when you uh, work out, it releases the endorphins, uh, and you feel so much better. Would you? Oh yeah. And do you talk to people at the gym when you go there? Do you try to talk to people? Sure. Sure. Do you try sure, to talk to sure. them? Oh, good, yes, good, yes. yeah, yeah. 
because that's a really a good social place. I mean, I know people, some people say, oh, it's a meat market, but no, I think it's a great way to just, just talk to people in general. Just, um, that's how I met my husband, sort of, because I met a friend at the gym, and then she invited me to go to happy hour, and that's how I met my husband. It was a going away party or something for people, and so, so that was really good. So I think, don't, you know, just get out there and meet people all different ways. But the gym, you know, just running a little bit and doing a little exercise, in my opinion, it does help the brain. And uh, from what a lot of people told me, there's uh, the endorphins that it releases, and it's like basically a free drug, you know, that makes you feel really good. Right, exactly, exactly. Definitely, yeah. I mean, and and that's the way to – and people say, well – how do I meet new friends because they they don't want to they don't want to leave their group of friends because they've had them for so long, but they know that there's a toxic group. So how do they meet new people? And that's what I say, just like you, go to the gym, join a softball league, um, join a, a community group, whatever you can do, where that it's healthy and that you can meet people doing your same, that share your same passions. I don't know, a hiking club, you know, and whatever's in your community, just get out there. I'm not talking about the bars on Saturday night. I mean, just really, really doing something you love. Yeah, another one of your videos that I want to bring up uh, on the show here is, what do you do if you are interested in somebody uh, who is afraid of commitment? Oh, yeah. Gosh. And I've seen people waste a lot of years with those types. Of people, yeah, yeah, and it's not good. So it depends on how long you want to give it. I would, I would set some parameters, like six months. If if you're not in a committed relationship in six months, then you need to get out. If this person just will not acknowledge you as their significant other, as a boyfriend or girlfriend, and they really won't introduce you to their parents or their friends, and really won't involve you in their lives in any way, um, yeah, you got to get out because you're wasting your time. I really believe that. And, and gosh, I've seen so many people waste years and years with people, and they never got what they wanted. They never got a commitment. And then they, they would spend, say, six years with somebody, and then this, they'd break up, and then this other person met oh their fiancé six months later and married them. So, I mean, yeah, don't waste your time, <laughs> really. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and uh, uh, you always you brought up it's it's good to have two two good friends if you're lucky. I had this uh, one good friend. Uh, um, I call my uncle. To, you know, we don't stay in contact that much. You know, a couple days a week here and there, but he's always there when I need him. You know, if something's wrong, he, he's the first one there. I mean, I can always count on this this person. And uh, I'm just so I'm just so blessed to have a, a friend like that in my life. You know, I know where he stands. I know what he's gonna. You know, I know he's not available 24/7, and I I understand that. But our friend, he's like a uh, a Derek Jeter, if you will, using a sports analogy. He, he's clutch. He'll hit the big home run uh, when when the team really the team is down one. You know, he'll always be there for you. Oh. Yeah, how long have you been friends? Oh, I'd say fifteen to eighteen years. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's going to be a lifelong friendship for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
Okay, you also had another good one. Uh, well, all your videos are good, but um, how to start to uh, talking to someone who you never actually met? How do you start? Uh, I think that would be very, very interesting for the listeners oh, to know. Yeah, yeah. I get a lot of these questions. Well, I see this person from afar, but I'm afraid to talk to them. And um, I see them looking at me, and I look at them, but we never talked. And this could go on for years. You know that. <laughs> You've got to talk to them because I think people are afraid. Cause, but what are they afraid of? I mean, what? think about it. What is the worst thing that could happen? So you, you flub your words. We all do that. So what? You just say hi. It doesn't mean you're asking them to marry you. You're just saying, hi, how are you doing? What's going on? Whatever you say. And then if they reject you and don't even want to talk to you, which I doubt, that's like the that that's all. That's all. Okay, so you tried. Otherwise, you'd never know. So it's amazing how many people are just afraid to walk up to somebody and say hi. I, I you know I see you all the time and I've never spoken to you. I'm so and so. What's your name? That's all. That's all you have to say. How hard is yeah. that, really? <laughs> yeah. To share a quick story, um, a couple of years back, I did have this girlfriend, but. Uh, she would falsely accuse me of not texting her. Then she would say, I didn't text her at this time and this and this. It was such petty stuff that I had to take the power back. And I, and I said, listen, uh, girl, I won't say her name, but, uh, you know, I want to talk to you at this restaurant. And then, and then when I said, I'm going to have to let you go, she, she apologized. Her. She's tried to get me back so bad. It was just amazing. It was, you know. Because I just couldn't take these accusations of not texting her back and this and that. And I know I was texting her back. So that's one relationship I'm happy I'm at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that but, was going to go south. You know that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was almost like but, that person's uh, a drama queen, really. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, that, that is definitely, that's definitely a good word for her. Um. Also, you have another one that's uh, up there. Uh, and by the way, of course, uh, you can go to youtube.com forward slash user uh, Marie uh, D U B U. What is it? U Q U E. Yeah, D U B. Yeah, D U B U Q U E. Yeah, <laughs> it's a mouthful. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, family members. Uh, how do you handle oh. a family member? <laughs> Not doing what they want, or Marina. How do you handle a family member not do um, not doing what they want? Yes. Oh, um, I guess pointing family member that not doing what they want. Yeah, it's, you know, family members are so tough because you see them and they it's almost like they have a license. Some of them feel like they have a license to manipulate you when they don't. So sometimes family members can be the worst. And you just have to big up, give them a big dumb smile. And when they say something really, really um, hurtful and manipulative, manipulative, you just got to look at them like, what on earth did you just say to me? Sometimes looks can kill, and that's really all you need. And if you, like, bow your head down and you look dejected and you give them 
any kind of impression that they really got to you and they really hurt you, which they did, but if you let them know, they're just going to continue. That's like giving them ammunition. So don't do that. Just don't miss a beat. Change the subject. Look at them like, what on earth? Uh, Like, that is just the craziest thing I've ever heard. What just came out of your mouth? And then take the attention away from them. Put it on somebody else in a positive way. Oh, if say if Aunt Molly is giving you a hard time, just turn to Aunt Elda and say, Aunt Elda, I love your outfit. Where did you get that? And just really totally ignore Aunt Molly, the one that's really being mean. <laughs> and then because they want to be the center of attention, either in a negative or a positive way, but don't give it to them. Don't give them that satisfaction. Change it to somebody else and start talking to that person. Because sometimes you just can't leave the room. Sometimes you're stuck at the big Thanksgiving dinner table or whatever. So give them a look that will kill to start. That's always a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, How to convince someone you have changed? Oh, yeah. I I would just tell them, look, I I am sorry. And, And make it heartfelt. Have them sit down and say, look, I am so sorry however I hurt you, but I know that I will do things differently if you will take our friendship back or our relationship or whatever. And if they, and as I said before, if they won't have you, if they're not having any of it, just show them, show them by treating everybody around you really well with respect and it will get back to them. Again, don't grovel, but just really put your money where your mouth is. And we've all made mistakes, all right? And it's just the people that make them over and over and over again that are manipulative, that know they're making the mistakes, that know they're hurting somebody. Those are the people that you want to stay away from. But if somebody did something, they really didn't mean it, give them a second chance. One second chance. (laughs) Second chance definitely uh, are good, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's the people, you know, that do it over and over again, and they mean to hurt you. They mean to do it. It's not, a, it's not an accident. That's their way. That's their M.O., and believe me, you'll know that. <laughs> My question. Uh, this one's good uh, for our listening audience. Uh, how to handle being jealous of a friend who has a girlfriend uh, slash boyfriend and you don't? Uh, what should that person do in that situation? Oh, gosh, aren't we all, like, jealous of somebody at some time in our lives? I mean, so-and-so's got everything going on, and I've got nothing. And, it, oh God, you can really, really immerse yourself in the green envy thing. And you can't because there's always going to be somebody who's better looking, thinner, richer, whatever, more successful, smarter. I don't know. Always. So what are you going to do? Sit there and just bring yourself down and compare yourself to people all the time. Instead, you can aspire to be like them in some ways. You can't be, you want to be yourself, but you can look at their qualities and say this person's a hard worker. And you're like, okay, you know, I can do that too. You don't want to be just like somebody else. You want to be yourself, but but you can take their qualities and say, okay, I want I want I aspire to be a hard worker like that, or to be successful. I know I can do it. And you can ask for their advice and say, look, how'd you get where you are? How'd you become the CEO or whatever? I, I'd like to do that too. What can you tell me? And and usually people want to help, but if you sit there and just wallow in self-pity because they're so much this, that, or the other, and you're not, it's going to bring you down instead of helping you move forward. 
I mean, have you ever yeah, done yeah. that, Jordan? Have you ever been like thinking, "Oh, I wish I could be like so and so and so and so," when in reality you don't want to be because you, you, their life is not really what you think. People that look like they have a perfect life really don't on the inside, don't you think? I believe this, and I also believe uh, you always want what you can't have, and then when you have yep. it, you, you really don't want it. You think that's true? Right, exactly. And you, and once you like get to know somebody who you think is like, oh my god, that person's so perfect. And you get to know them, and they're like, their lives aren't perfect. They're not perfect. They're not. They're sure they're fine, but they're just like you and me. There's nothing extraordinary about them. And you're like, because I think we put people on a pedestal and we think, wow. But once you get to know them and the barriers down, you're like, oh yeah, they're just like me. It's no big deal. <laughs> There is something about the human brain that you know we we always want what we can't have, and then yep. when we when we uh, find them getting it, it's like eh, we really didn't even need that in the first place. Then, no exactly. matter what the situation is. Right, right. I see people like they move into a new house to save their marriage, or they they think, well, I'll be so much better with this next job, or 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 if I move to a new a city, I'll I'll just start new and 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 it'll be wonderful. And really, the problems are within you, and there's no other location or any other kind of external force that's really going to change what's in you. You've got to really work on yourself. And and it takes a lot to realize that finally, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, this one I found very good. Should you confront someone who you think is lying to you? Oh, gosh. If it's a really, really good friend, yes. If you want to save, you know, if you, you really value the friendship, you want to save it, and they hurt you, and you really feel like they've never done that before, and this is totally uncharacteristic, and yeah, you need to you need to confront them because otherwise you just it's going to eat at you, and you're going to get mad at them for little things that have nothing to do with what you're really upset about. So yeah, you need to confront them and say, look, you really hurt me. This is what happened, and and, and don't say it in a really really distraught way. Wait till you're calm and you're cool and collected and you're both sitting down and you can think rationally and you say, look, you know, I don't know why you did this, but it really hurts. Now, if it's somebody that you don't care about anyway, yeah, don't even bother and just move on (laughs) and have nothing to do with them. Right, right, definitely. Um, Okay, uh, let's let's talk about your website again and uh, your iHeartRadio and your YouTube. Um, when are you on iHeart? Yeah, iHeart Radio, and you can uh, just uh, type in Marie Dubuque, and it's um, Marie Dubuque Show. It'll come up, and then YouTube is YouTube.com/slash Marie Dubuque. And you are on radio too. I love your show because we're on your show right now, and I love it. <laughs> so you got to keep that up. I love radio. Period. It's such a great medium. Yes, yes, it is. It's good that. Uh, you know, I I just had a couple of good lawyers on uh, a couple of days ago. You heard the uh, author I had, I think. I, I linked you that one. Yeah. So, uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. But, do you, have a, uh, you do have a YouTube channel, too? Jordan, do you have a YouTube channel also? Or is it you just do radio? Okay, okay. What's I, your YouTube? I'll, I'll subscribe. It's King Jordan. I had, I had a big, gigantic one like you, but... The password is, I just, I can't find it, eh? And they want me to, <laughs> me to pay to, like, find it. You know, they want me to pay to get it back. So 
tell her I'm, I'm still in like litigation with the. Oh no! Well, start a new one. Let's start a new one. But I like I like both radio and YouTube. I think they're great, and it's so it's so wonderful to connect with people. Well, you know how as a radio host, you know what that's like. It's really fun. Because yeah, otherwise, I yeah. wouldn't have met you, and I really like that. I really like connecting with viewers and listeners, and, and it's it's much better than uh, than regular terrestrial radio. I think online. Question. How long yeah. have you uh, you've been doing this? And uh, what what inspired you to do this? Because like I'm not I'm not just saying this to say this because you 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 would do a phenomenal phenomenal job. You know, the first time I clicked on you, I it was just like, wow. You know, like, you, like I, it connected to me right away. Like, boom. You know, oh, it was just it was like, it was amazing. You are so kind. You see, people like you are. That's what that's what keeps me going. Well, I started about five years ago, and it was my son. I think, yeah, he was uh, fourteen at the time, and I just would go on and on and on. And he said, well, if you have something to say, just say it on YouTube. <laughs> and I was like, "What? That's for aspiring rock stars." No, no, no. There's a lot of people that just talk. You should, just, you should do that. I think he he thought I would just leave him alone if I would get on YouTube, <laughs> and it worked. It worked. <laughs> and I kept going, and then I never stopped. I think I have a thousand videos or something up now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, How many shows uh, do you have? How many radio shows? How many radio shows do you have now? Well, Did you count we just, it? I guess. I probably have about ninety to maybe maybe more. I've I've been doing it for close to three years now, so that's that's the radio show. Oh, yes. Yeah, when you start getting a following, it feels so great because you're like, wow, people. Because at first you wonder, well, who's out there? Who's really listening? But then you do, and you get a connection, like you said, and and then the rest, you just keep going. <laughs> Yes, I do have like thousands of followers though, um, because uh, on Blog Talk Radio, you know, you could sign up as a follower and uh, as a listener, and then you could follow. So I've I've got a lot of followers. So and I just I just started back with Twitter again since I've been doing you know the radio show, but uh, I like Twitter uh, now, so I'm gonna stick with that a little bit more. You know, more people on there. Uh, that that I like to get on my show, so yeah, I love Twitter. I, and I think it's taken over. I think it's um, I with the younger kids, it's like um, Facebook's kind of people are not using as much and and using Twitter more and Instagram and everything. And I think yeah, to share the share the wealth. I don't think Facebook needs to be the, the end all and be all. MySpace, <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a, like the old one now. MySpace, do you remember that one? Yes, well, now it's a bunch of musicians, right? Am I correct? Like, it's mainly musicians? Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes indeed. <laughs> that was so hot at its, you know, I think around 07, 06. Everybody right. would have their profile. Right, yeah. and then Facebook came along. And now it's coming back. Didn't Justin Timberlake, didn't he partly buy it or just some, had some, invest in it? I don't know, something with MySpace. And oh, then it starts starting to come back. Yeah, yeah, I did hear something with Justin Timberlake about that. I think you, you, you're right. I don't know the exact what's going on with that, but it is mostly uh, with musicians right now. But like as you said, Twitter really is taking over the universe right now. Everybody's on Twitter, and uh, you know it doesn't have uh, certain things that Facebook has. Some people tell me. 
like the chat box, but then some people don't want to be bothered with, with being involved with the chat box. So, you know, that's that's for the person to decide, I guess. <laughs> right, and that the big thing is, yeah, it's all great, all of it, but you got to talk face-to-face, too. You really do. It can't be a substitute. That's what I tell everybody. You got Because some right. people just can't do it. They just can't do it. They get Their communication skills are just lacking, and I'm like, no, you guys, come on. Not just in friendships and romantic relationships, but job interviews, too. You've got to be able to talk face-to-face. So don't lose that. Let me say when I go, uh, how do you stop the anxiety when you are on the verge of going out with a date for the first time? Oh, when you're, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that, again, it's, trying to be someone you're not because you're trying so hard to impress this person that you you end up trying to be someone that they think you want to be. I mean, that they, that they want you to be. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's just too much work. No, just, you gotta be yourself. You have to put your cards on the table because six months from now, they're going to know the real you too. Anyway, so they might as well figure it out right then and there. And if you say something wrong, so what? Don't make a big deal about it. Just move on. If you, feel silly. We all do. And you're not going to be your most confident on the first date. You are going to be nervous, but so is the other person. Just remember, it's two people on this date. Just have fun and pretend like it's your best friend and it's not someone you're trying to impress. Try it. (laughs) No question. I think we do have a caller. Let me see. Uh, Let's go out to Lamar Jackson. Let's try uh, another caller. Caller, you're on the air. You have a question for Marie. Caller? Okay. Okay, Marie, why don't you go out <laughs> go ahead and plug your <laughs> Yeah, we get these callers uh, sometimes that don't say nothing. But uh, why don't you... Uh, I know, I've been getting call- crazy callers on my cell phone, too. I've been getting... I don't know, people that hang up. Do you get that? At, I get that at my house and on my cell phone, and I'm like, what's going on with that? Anyway, um, yeah, my YouTube is YouTube.com slash Marie Dubuque. And I'm Marie Dubuque on Twitter. Yes, yes, Marie Dubuque on Twitter, at Marie Dubuque, right? Yeah, and you're at King Jordan, right? And I follow you. I think I already follow Yeah, I follow you. At Mr. King Jordan. At Mr. King Jordan. Mr. But, King Jordan, uh, okay, okay. You do an awesome job, and I I instruct. I want to tell all my listeners to go to uh, her and follow Marie on Twitter and watch those videos. They are just awesome, and they're helpful. More importantly, and uh, Marie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Jordan, thank you so much, and you have a wonderful show. And I, I let's do this again. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Talk to you yeah. soon. Okay, have a good one. Bye-bye now. Okay, folks, that was Marie. We will be back on Tuesday. And uh, she's excellent. Uh, Definitely check her out on YouTube.com forward slash user uh, slash Marie uh, D-U-B-U-Q. E. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's play, uh, let's hit you with some Michael Jackson as we call it a night. 
Take care, everybody. Take care. On
Folks, if you're looking to buy something online and you want to support the Steve Austin Show, here's what you got to do. Go to podcastone.com and click on the Steve Austin Show. Look for the Amazon banner and click. Doing that gets you to the same Amazon place you normally go, but with a bonus. Amazon kicks back a small percentage of the sale to help support the show. That means more Steve and fewer ads to pay for doing this. Plus, you don't pay any extra for anything. Same Amazon, same prices. 
Now, I'm not telling you to go buy something here. I'm just saying that when you do decide to go Amazon shopping, go to podcastone.com and click the Amazon banner right there on my page, The Steve Austin Show. You can just click the banner, then save the URL as your Amazon page. It's that easy. Then, every time you shop Amazon, you'll be helping The Steve Austin Show climb to the top of the podcast mountain. Thank you very much for supporting the cause. The following program is a podcast1.com production. From Hollywood, California, by way of the Broken Skull Ranch and an occasional side trip to Mexico, this is the Steve Austin Show. Give me a hell yeah. Hell yeah. Now, from the Onnit.com Total Human Optimization Studio, here's Steve Austin. All right, everybody, this is Steve Austin. Welcome to the SAS. This is my first show back in the Los Angeles studio, and I'll be damned. When I first moved to Los Angeles about 10 years ago, as I was driving in, I saw this big fucking ball of smog hanging over the city. And I was thinking to myself, what the fuck am I getting myself into? Well, fast forward 10 years down the road as I'm flying back into this motherfucker from Mexico and I see that big ball of smog, I breathed a sigh of relief. I was happy to be going back to this big shithole. Back to the land of no blinkers, people texting while driving. I risk life and limb trying to get this motherfucker to try to pump out quality audio entertainment for anybody with enough guts to listen to this motherfucker. I got a damn good episode today. I'll be talking to one of my best friends from the business of professional wrestling, my old partner, my old travel partner, Kevin Nash. Before I let into Kevin Nash and unleash him on the world, I'm going to take care of a little bit of business right here. Check it out. All right, guys, you guys have heard me talking about all these amazing supplements I've been taking, but here's the deal. If you haven't already, you need to get some for yourself at onnit.com slash Steve. Don't forget the slash Steve part. When you go to onnit.com slash Steve, you not only get the best supplements on earth, you get 10% off. You save money and help keep this show free for everybody. But I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, hell, Steve, I'm already too smart as it is. I don't need that alpha brain. Or maybe my body is a physical specimen like a redneck Adonis. I don't need to work out with that shroom tech sport to lift those kettlebells. Well, that's all well and good. But if you're over 25, you need to boost your testosterone. So go to onnit.com slash Steve. You're going to get 10% off one of the safest, healthiest, and most effective ways to help your body boost testosterone ever created. Right now by going to onnit.com slash Steve and putting some T-plus in your cart. This stuff's going to make you feel like a damn teenager again. You can see how it works at onnit.com slash Steve. But what you really need to do is feel what it does. You're going to put on muscle easier. You're going to have more energy, motivation, more motivation than you can imagine. And anything with two legs and a pair of tits you see walking by in your flagpole is going to be at full-ass salute. And I ain't kidding about that. And if it doesn't happen like that, you can get all your money back. No questions asked. So go to onnit.com slash Steve. That's O-N-N-I-T dot com slash Steve. Get your 10% discount off T-plus and your entire order and help support this show. That's O-N-N-I-T dot com slash Steve. Be sure to put in the slash Steve to get your discount. <sighs> I love me some onnit.com slash Steve. Check it out. I'm really excited to be back in the studio today because you guys have heard about all the hassles and horse shit I had trying to do this damn show from Mexico with no technology skills. 
So now that I'm back in the studio, I got a little quality time, and I ain't got to worry about pushing buttons and fucking a bunch of shit up. I'm excited to talk to my old buddy, Kevin Nash. Now, I first met Kevin at Center Stage in downtown Atlanta back in the days. Hell, it might have been 91. And when I first saw this son bitch at 6'10 and 350 pounds, the first thought in my head was not like, hey, I bet this is going to be one funny motherfucker. It wasn't that. Because back in the day, Kevin kind of had that thousand-yard stare going, and he had the shoulders that looked like gigantic cantaloupes and 23-inch guns. And when you see a pile of human monstrosity like that, the last thing you think is, this is going to be a funny motherfucker. You think, I don't want to fuck with this crazy son of a bitch. So anyway, I went over and shook hands, and we started talking. And then we started laughing like a son of a bitch and pretty much became friends straight right from the start. So check it out. Here's Kevin's career. Between WWE, WCW, and TNA, Kevin has won a total of 21 championships. He is a six-time world champion, a five-time WCW world heavyweight champion, and one-time WWF champion. Although he has only had one reign as WWF champion, Kevin is recognized by WWE as the longest-reigning WWF champion of the 90s and the 10th longest-reigning of all time, having held the title for 358 days. He has achieved notable success in the tag team division as well, being a 12-time world tag team champion, a nine-time WCW World Tag Team Champion, a two-time WWF World Tag Team Champion, and one-time TNA World Tag Team Champion. Let me take a fucking break. He's also a one-time WWF Intercontinental Champion and a two-time TNA Legends Champion. In addition to championships, he won the 1998 WCW World War III. Nash was a member of the Click. We're going to talk about the Click real quick, a group which included Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Scott Hall, and Shawn Waltman. He's also one of the three founding members of the New World Order, which we're damn sure going to talk about, along with Hulk Hogan and Scott Hall. Without any further ado, Kevin, welcome to the Steve Austin Show, brother. How are you? Hey, welcome home. Uh, goddamn, I'm glad to be home. I need to go take a drink of water, a walk, and a piss after reading all your accolades. I tell you, man, that's what happens when you have the pencil half your career. <laughs> man, it'll book yourself into a hell of a situation. Hey, man, uh, we shot this shit a couple of days ago, and I've been wanting to have you on the show ever since I started this thing. And we're still fresh up and running and all that other horse shit, but... I want to talk about a bunch of shit that happened in the business, but right now, let's talk about the here and now. How are you feeling? What are you up to? How's the carcass holding up? I feel rotten. I mean, you know, I'm beat up to shit, but... Uh... Well, don't beat around the bush. How are you really feeling? <laughs> God damn. <laughs> yeah, about, I want to get some of that fucking uh, testosterone replacement shit. You know, I'll be happy with my shit at half mass. <laughs> are you feeling rough? Talk to me. Sooner or later, I'll die. It'll be over with. As <laughs> my buddy Kevin Nash, always looking at the glass like it's half full. <laughs> That's always a solution to every problem. So you're not uh, feeling uh, good. You're pissed off. You're moving a little sluggish this morning. I'm full of goddamn energy. Uh, how's the wheels? You goddamn got that big-ass fucking upper body. Your wheels got so many damn uh, leg surgeries. How's the wheels coming on? Good, uh... Just turning high volume now. Backing off on a backing off on the poundage, trying to keep those joints good. Yeah, I mean, I can. I, the last my last workout, I ended up uh, fourteen plates, 
on the leg press for 20 reps. And let me guess, you did 14 wheels on the leg press and your shoulders grew. My shoulders grow no matter what. I know, you're the goddamn only person on earth that can go work legs and get his shoulders to grow. Fancy that. I can fucking look at a goddamn squat bar and my legs will get big, but my shoulders ain't worth a flying shit. The beauty of genetics. <laughs> you know, Rick Rude, Rick Rude uh, always had that badass physique, great, you know, capped off deltoids, jacks, the whole nine yards, but his wheels went up to snuff. But he used to always uh-huh. tell me as we rode down the road, he'd go, for fuck's sake, Steve, it's an upper body business. And he was right. Damn right. Well, you had some uh, bone chips removed out of your elbows. How's that going for you? That, that made a difference. That was kind of a constant, uh, like a two-year pain that was alleviated by finally a surgeon, you know, getting in there and cleaning that out. I think my, my rotator cuff's got some tears in it. But here's the bottom line for all guys. As you come out of the racket that we come out of, you beat the shreds, you're happy about it, uh, you had a great run. Did your dick still get hard? Oh, yeah. Well, see, now you got that going for you. And then everything else just kind of falls in line after that. Because when that when that shit is over, that's kind of when, you know, things ain't so fucking oh. great. Shit, when that's over, it's time to put a bullet in your head. Easy. We can talk about that later as well. Hey, you know what? I want to <laughs> I want to take these, uh, before you and me take a trip down uh, memory lane, I want to go back because I was reading about you the, before we did this interview. And... I've known your ass for a long-ass time. We met over at Center Stage. But before you got into business, you were in college. You were at the University of Tennessee. And you, if if my uh, sources are correct, you were majoring in psychology and minoring in educational philosophy. Is that correct? That's correct. No, you're known as being one of the smarter guys that's ever been in the business. I was reading an article about you several months ago. And those motherfuckers that wrote that thing said you had an IQ of a buck sixty. Was that a work or was that a shoot? I mean, it's I've actually had it, it like tested one at one forty, one forty six. Pretty goddamn smart. So let me go back to your uh, major in psychology and minoring in educational philosophy. What the fuck were you going to do with that? Because did you get a degree? No. I okay. Got thrown, I got thrown out of I got thrown out of school. I, I want to get to I, that. I was on track. Okay, but uh, major in psychology, what were your goals back then at that time? What were you going to do with your life? I had no idea. I mean, I wanted to play basketball. That was it. But how'd you pick the the psychology thing? I mean, cause you, I mean it could have been anything, but why psychology? I was uh, smart enough to be able to get a syllabus and grab a textbook, and then you know the, the, the lectures were on uh, microfilm back then. So it was pretty much uh, I could I could pretty much not go to class and and and, and get a, you know a high C, which kept me eligible to play on the basketball team. So it just was just the easiest you know it was the easiest path to you know, path of least resistance to stay eligible, get get good enough grades to you know not have anybody climbing up my ass and you know not have me you know in extra tutors and. Going to study also all that shit, so it was just it was just easy. It was, it was just easy for me. So let's talk about basketball for a second. Uh, how tall are you right now? God, Steve, right now I'm probably barefoot, maybe six nine and a half. Six nine and a half, seven eight with the fro. Uh, when you were in high school, when you when you graduated from high school, how tall were you? Were you then? About six eleven and a quarter. 
Mm, gravity's a motherfucker, ain't it? So you're 6'11 and a quarter. When you came out of high school, are you widely recruited? Could you have gone anywhere in the United States you wanted yeah. to go? Because you ended up going yeah. to Tennessee. Yeah, I could have went anywhere. I could have went, uh, I mean, anywhere on the West Coast. I could have went anywhere in the ACC. Um, I could have went to any Big Ten school. I had over I had 200 some offers. Well, God dang, dude. I mean, well, with that being said, how do you how do you end up going to the University of Tennessee? I mean, you're a cat out of Michigan, Detroit. What was it about Tennessee that drew you to that program? A, I wanted to get out of the state of Michigan. Got you. I just wanted I wanted to go someplace. I wanted to go as far um, away from the snow as I could, but at the same time, I still wanted my mom, right? And, you know, to be able to see me and. You know, Knoxville is about 500 miles, which is about as far as, you know, somebody can possibly, you know, like, go, you know, make a trip on a weekend, come on, leave Friday, and then go, you know, and go back after the game on Saturday. That was kind of like the radius we were looking at, and uh, I went down there, and at the time, um, there were no pro sports in Tennessee. You know, the, the Titans didn't exist. Right. Uh, there were no, you know, so... When you played for the University of Tennessee, you pretty much played for the pro team in Tennessee. Celebrity status. Yes. So you immediately, if you were, in my case, uh, you know, come basketball season, you know, you were one of the few uh, white boys that got any, any playing time. You were kind of big man on campus, so it was kind of... Uh, you know, shooting ducks in a barrel kind of situation. So. Well, let's talk about your basketball game. I mean, were you tough in the paint? Were you a rebounding cat? What was your game, post up? Yeah, I was. I mean, I knew when I, I knew going in that they had plenty of offense. I knew they had, you know, they had Reggie Johnson, who was an all SEC guy. He was a six ten uh, <laughs> offensive machine. Um, later on, we got Dell Ellis, who played, you know, for a hundred years in the NBA. He was one of the greatest three point shooters in NBA history. Uh, so, I mean, I knew I basically was going to go in and just kind of play, you know, do the dirty stuff, rebound, play defense. I always covered the toughest, uh, big, you know, the toughest inside guy they had offensively. I, mean, I covered McHale. Like, I mean, I played, I played against a lot of good guys back in the day. Well, but, tell me about uh, your career. Did you play three or four seasons there? Three. Okay, three. You've got an altercation with the coach. How does this break down? What was the situation at hand? We're playing Kentucky at Kentucky, and um, you know, I mean, that's always that was our, you know, Tennessee's big rival. Gotcha. And uh, late in the first half, uh, one of our guys got fouled. We went up to the foul line, and back then we had two referees, so you could you didn't have that third referee. So when, when a referee was handing the guy the ball, and the other referee walked by us to our uh, right-hand side as we are getting set up on the side, you know, for free throw. Once that, once you saw the one referee, um, his attention go to hand the guy the ball, and the other guy's back was to you, you know, it was, if you were the cheap shot guy, which I was, and a lot of guys were, and the guy next to me was a guy named uh, LeVon Williams, I think was his name. I think it was a, from, it was a Kentucky kid, uh, played at or, Came out of Denver, about six eight, six seven guy, but you know, good, you know, pretty, pretty good body on him. Kind of, and he was just the same as me, kind of a hatchet guy. <clears throat> and he just, you know, I was having, I was starting to have a good game, and then up in Knoxville, I'd scored ten points like in a row on him. 
ended up turning the game around, so they, they were going to get me out. So the guy elbowed me in the side of the head. I fired back at him, and it kind of had a bench-clearing incident. They threw me out of the game. So, you know, my, my coach, being the genius he was, instead of just leaving me in the locker room, he brings me back for the second half, sits me at the end of the bench, you know, where everybody can give me hell. They're throwing oranges at me, which was a common thing because we were the big orange. They throw right. oranges at us. So, you know, I'm pissed off. I'm sitting there. I can't do anything. We end up losing. We're going back down the locker room. And he comes up to me and gets in my face and says, you know, you're happy now, motherfucker. You know, you're hothead. You cost us a game. You cost us a game. And I pushed him aside and walked in the locker room. So we got in the locker room. I sit down. I was undoing my shoes. He stood right over me and, you know, started shit back up with me. And he just kept saying, you know, you want to hit somebody, hit me? You want to hit you so tough? You want to hit somebody, hit me? And I just stood up. I fucking just open hand smacked him right in the fucking head. And, uh, so what'd he do? Did he sell it? <laughs> went down like a bitch. <laughs> the fucking team looked at me like, what the fuck? Did he get back up? Did he try to come at you? Had he had enough? What no, happened? No, you know, <laughs> he knew. He knew. <laughs> He fucked he knew, up. He, he Don't knew, get he up. Right then he said that he brought the Detroit out of that boy. No, I thought he was, it was, it was typical, you know, typical for those guys. But he was a Bobby Knight gotcha. disciple. Gotcha, gotcha, you know, gotcha. He, he was that guy. You so know, then you, you, you get kicked off the team uh, immediately? No, no. He got to the point. See, I, I was, I was, I've always at least had some street smarts. So I immediately got an attorney. In town, and I figured, you know, because they told me, you know, he said, you're off the team, and, you know, whatever, I said, yeah, whatever. So we went back uh, to Knoxville that night on a charter. The press had already got a hold of it, because when I, when I pushed, like, I left the lo locker room, because my girlfriend was a cheerleader at the time, and I left the locker room to go, you know, go grab her and tell her what was up, you know. And... uh when I pushed the locker room door, like I pushed like 20 reporters away from there. They were all sticking with their ear up against the mm -hmm. door. So they, they heard everything. So it was immediately out. So University of Tennessee knew they had a PR nightmare on their, on their hands because people had seen him grab me in the hallway. On Sunday, I got a call. We went, we met over in the athletic department, uh, athletic director's uh, office. You know, and they said, you know, we got this, we got to let, you know, put this thing at rest. And so we, me and the coach came on TV and had a press conference and basically said it was just, you know, a misunderstanding. Between two, you know, the old heated exchange between two competitive people. Heated exchange. You know, mm. <laughs> but nothing happened, you know. So when are you off the team? Was, no, I finished the season. I mean, and we played Florida at home the next game and I started because any. Any change in the in the in the lineup would have meant that I was being punished. So the season's now, over. You decided not to come yeah. back for the fourth season. No, I, I was just I was going. I was I actually was uh, it was it was the the spring semester, and um, we had a, a an RA on our floor that was a, just an asshole, and he came down and said he, he smelled uh, weed in my room, and I wasn't doing anything. Not you. Hey, he said he wanted to. He said he wanted to search my room. Yeah. I said no. He started to come in my room, and I fucking doubled him over with a gut shot. <laughs> threw him out in the hallway. <laughs> well, he went and pressed charges with campus police, and they came and you know they were acting like they were going to arrest me, and I told him I didn't. I put my hands on him. I said they ain't got a mark on him. 
So they just pushed him out of my room. I said, you got the right to come in my room. Patting a shot to the drum, no mark, street smart kid. Nothing. So then they bounce yeah. you out. What happened? So then, uh, so now it's like the, I'm, on, I'm on like double secret probation. Yep. So I've got a I've got a black uh, black studies class at like six o'clock at night on like Tuesday Thursdays, and I'm walking across the middle of campus and I'm, I'm smoking a, a, a joint, and this girl like comes and stands like dead in front of my in front of my uh, like my path. Yeah. And just stands there, and I try to walk around her. And she takes and she says, she says, "What is that?" And I said, "I said, what is what is it?" I said, "You've never seen a joint before." She said, "I thought so." I said, what the fuck ever, and just kept walking by and took my, you know, took a couple more hits, you know, so I'd make a few class and put her out for the walk home, so. So she narked on you? I got a, yeah, just nothing, you know, So and, then they uh, kicked you out? Yeah. <laughs> they, they built their case up, and that was, that was a strong. So that was it. <laughs> uh, you, you're out of school on your ass, and then you end up in the European League. Uh, long story short, how was the European League? Back then, it was like, you know, I, I equated it to playing, like, uh, mid-level. Any dough? Mid-level college. Any dough? Two-ish. Got gotcha. you. about 200 grand. Well, that's good money, Shit, especially back in the day. So you get out of the European League, and you go to the Army, and you get a NATO job. Yeah. Before you tell me about the NATO job, i got to take a quick break and take care of some business. Hang in there, Kevin. All right, buddy. Hey, you guys tired of your hassles with your current mobile provider? you got to check out Ting. Ting is mobile that makes sense. With Ting, you select a plan that you think fits how many minutes, text messages, and megabytes you'll need. Then you only pay for what you use. If you come in under the amount, they give you credit the next month. If you go over, you only pay for the minutes or data you use. At Ting, they never charge you an overage fee or penalty. You can have multiple devices on one plan for just 6 bucks a device. No setup or extra fees. Ting is basically a reseller of the nationwide Sprint network. And Ting has a no-hold customer support. If you call from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern, a live person will actually pick up the phone and be there to help you. There's no contract to sign either. If you want to cancel, believe it or not, it's easy. Your bill is also easy to read with none of those extra line item costs. Ting also gives you free picture, video messaging, voicemail, call forwarding, and a whole bunch more. Plus, you get a powerful online control panel, which helps you monitor and change your account. Just go to steve.ting.com. That's steve.ting.com. Or click on the banner on the Steve Austin Show page at podcastone.com. By doing that, you'll save 25 bucks on your first mobile device purchase or get a 25 buck credit towards service if you bring your own. Ting, it's mobile that makes sense. Coming back in with Kevin Nash, and he just got a job with NATO. No, just enlisted in the Army and is with NATO. What in the hell were you doing in NATO? My MOS was 95 Bravo, which is a military policeman. And back then, uh, the number one threat to, uh, to West Germany was... Um, a Soviet attack, which which they would one of the you know it would be a Soviet, Soviet mechanized attack, attack. I mean that's how back back then you know was everything was conventional, and they would have to uh, because we didn't have the you know the tanks or anything to stop that kind of movement. 
um, we would, uh, you know, our satellite systems would pick up just, if nothing else, the, the heat signature of that much armor moving. And we would have, you know, we had, you know, probably 12 to 18 hours to, to get into position because they had to go through, there was like just only a couple of gaps, you know, in, in, the, in the region there that they could, they could bring it through. And one of them was, was the folder gap. If anybody, you know, you can just Google folder gap and, it will, you know, you, you read the whole history on, on, on how we, you know, basically was, were guided to protect that. That was the, from, from the 42nd Field Artillery back then, that was like our, our objective, which I was assigned to. And we would just meet them with um, everything we had, basically. My job was basically to, to be at a NATO site and uh, to guard the weapons. So that's what I did for three years. So your your time is up. You head back to Detroit. You get a job on the assembly line at Ford. What exactly were you doing? I'm putting tires on the right side. <laughs> putting tires on the right side. Now I know you're a big fan of the Ford Bronco. Both of us have Broncos. Now is your allegiance or your loyalty to the Blue Oval because you worked there? Or you just dig the Bronco. Well, my dad worked there. Gotcha. And uh, my my stepdad worked there. I mean, you know, we fall. You know, I, I pretty much. My entire life was, was was fed by that blue oval, so it's just you know we're kind of a Ford family. So you're at the uh, assembly plant, and as I'm reading your wiki page, you end up down in Atlanta, bouncing out of Titty Club. What just gets in your head and says, "Hey man, fuck uh, working on the assembly line. I'm heading down to Atlanta." What was the transition? What what were you thinking? Well, what happened was. Um, when I was over in Europe, I, you know, I, I blew my knee out. I mean, I fucked it up bad. I tore, I did it an ACL, PCL, MCL. So I had a couple, I had one operation over there and came back and had another operation. But that, then, then all of a sudden, it was just like the, the, the European team knowing I wasn't going to come back, just they weren't going to pay for anything else. And I wasn't fixed yet. So I had to get on the assembly line. Uh, and, and, and worked, I forget what it was, but I think it was 120 or 180 days, whatever it was, to get full insurance. Long story short, I had one guy that I knew I could trust, and I was over by the, the car's hook on a chain, and I was over messing with this chain, and, you know, they started the, 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 the line back up at lunch, and I acted like I kind of got caught in it and pulled my leg, but it didn't, but, we, you know, I, I took a bump, and uh, my buddy said, yeah, I saw the whole thing. And, you know, so I went ahead and milked the system, real proud of it. And uh, got some free medical and a little workman's cap for, the, for my uh, anguish. So while I was uh, rehabbing my knee, a buddy of mine said, hey, you know, they got a place down in uh, on Michigan Avenue called BT's looking, at, looking for a bouncer. Working at a strip club there, met some guys from Atlanta that were... Uh, kind of shifty guys, but they invited me to come down and work for them down in Atlanta. Ended up that they um, were being watched by the FBI. Long story short, the FBI raided our, our uh, office complex, arresting everybody in the process, including myself. They held everybody because they didn't have, they didn't have the, the, the brains of the operation. And I was looking at like, geez, like five or six counts of wire fraud, six or seven counts of mail fraud. Each one of those was like a seven-year sentence. So it looked like I was going to go down the tubes, but I just kept my mouth shut. I just acted like I didn't know anything. And I just kept telling them that I was muscle. You know, the reason I was there was, was that they just needed muscle. So finally, uh, 
you know, like I got out of that. They told me they were going to release me. They released me. They told me the guy that had given me my uh, my second summons, uh, a guy named Peter Both, was going to be waiting for me at the end of the steps of this courthouse. I came down, and he was standing there, and he took me in his car over to the Cheetah, and they, was, they were looking for a, a, a floor manager at the strip club. And I walked in the door, and lo and behold, that was my career for the next, I guess, three years. Didn't you get noticed there by somebody that said, hey, it's a big sound bitch, you ought to get into the business of pro wrestling? What was your introduction into yeah. the business? Yeah, the boys, the boys would, because uh, it was just, you know, the center stage was just, my God, maybe three miles from there. And uh, Wyndham, I think, was the first one that talked to me. And then I was training at Coffee's Gym mm -hmm. in uh, Marietta on a Franklin Road, and the Steiners, both Robbie and Scotty, trained there. And Scotty was just kind of breaking in with Robbie, uh, and it was back when it was the NWA. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, they were my buddies, and we were all Michigan guys, and uh, they were trying to push me in, and I ended up going down to uh, Jody Hamilton's school. And uh, When Jody had that school, was that power plant, or was it just Jody's wrestling school? No. No, it was just Jody's, Jody's school was in Lovejoy, Georgia. On one half of it was Jody's school. On the other, other half, this Quonset hut was a, uh, a place that sold uh, carpet remnants. What was your impression of Jody? I mean, a lot of people, you know, Jody was one half of the assassins. And Jody and his partner were a hell of a damn tag team, drew a lot of money wherever they went. And Jody was gold on a microphone, one of the most menacing, uh, you know, articulate promos with a message of destruction that would draw money that anybody ever heard. So what was your first impression when you met Jody? He was, you know, he was, you know, Jody was, was big, you know, by, by, by the time I met him, he was, he was really, he was always a big man, but I mean, Jody was, was, was heavy, but the thing that amazed me was like, he'd get, he'd get in the ring and he'd run the ropes. I mean, he could steal it and he was older, you know, and he was probably, you know, 350 and, but he could motor still. You know, he could still move. What was and, it? What um, was the focus of his teaching with you? Or was it more bumps? I'm sure he, he wasn't teaching you at your size chain wrestling. So, what was the bulk of his training as it pertained uh, to your structure and who you were? He he based everything. You know how it was. It was so different back then. You know, and, and right. you, you know, you can attest to this that you know they didn't smarten you up for a long time. No, the business was still real. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, the first thing they did was, you know, first day you pay you 1500 bucks, you go down there, you do 500 Hindus, 500 step-ups, push-ups, sit-ups, and run the ropes, and then get somebody in there that's a, that's a shooter, and they shoot you. Pay the dues, go uh, through the routine, learn yeah, respect. They, you know, and then, and then, and then, you know, there's eight guys that show up on a Saturday, you know, do that, and then they say, we'll see you guys on Monday. Well, come Monday, the only asshole that walks back in there is me. The rest of them said, fuck this. I went to a football game that Sunday with my wife and couldn't even get to the to, to my seat. I could, you know, up and down the, the, the stairs at the, at the at the Falcons game. I couldn't even walk. <clears throat> but I showed up Monday and they, you know, Jody wasn't even there. One of the other guys was there and the guy sitting there drinking a beer. And I said, I am here for my training. There's nobody in the in the in the facility." So he gets on the phone and basically says, Jody, that big fucker came back. And he's like, all right. <laughs> so, I, you know, they brought uh, Dwayne Bruce came down and Jody came down and, you know, we went through some stuff and they just, you know, the first thing was just lock up. You know, we would lock ups for, you know, that day. That's all we did was lock ups. And, you know, 
Dwayne Bruce was probably five six, five seven. So right. You can imagine that was that was you know good learning session, locking up with a seven footer. <clears throat> so finally Jody got out there and worked with me, and you know Jody just and lockups were so different back then because they were so like the lockup part was so snug, and then you just immediately went to that you know work. But it was you know. They, that was the first thing they taught you, so it was almost like you thought in your, in your mind, like, oh, this is just, this is a shoot. You're damn right. I mean, a lockup is the beginning of any match, and it's one of the most important uh, parts of any match. And, you know, truth be known, and anybody that's in the ring, you, you set a pace. I mean, you set a tone with that lockup. Hey, you out there to do business? Absolutely. Snap in here, motherfucker. Or is it going to be some lack lackadaisical, laissez-faire horse shit? A shitty lockup, you know, is a great start to a shitty match. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's just, and I, and I watch guys, you know, it's, it's every, the, the thing that he, you know, that, that, that I learned from Jody was that, that A, you're not going to have to do as much as anybody else should be. When you do do something, make sure it looks good. You know, it's just like lock up, grab that head, you know, and I mean, it, 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 it was such a different business. Whatever you do, was, make look good. You, you ain't got to do a whole yeah. lot of anything, but what you do make look, make look good. So you're in there with Jody, you lock it up. Okay, uh, how long were you in the school before you had your first match? I want to jump into your WCW career and get moving here. First match was probably eight months, and it was live on the Clash of Champions. It was me and my my partner, Corey Pendarvis, versus Brad Armstrong and Tim Horner. Okay, so you got that first match. And what did you wrestle that first match under? I was uh, Master Blaster Steel. I had a fuchsia mohawk. Well, let's talk about Master Blaster Steel. What was the mindset on creating that character? Did someone just say, hey, Kevin, you're a big motherfucker. Let's put a mohawk on you and call you Master Blaster Steel. Did you go home and think, hey, man, let me put this behind this thing. Here's the look. How did that all evolve? Well, the thing was, was, you know, was, uh, Oli was the, was the booker at the time. Oli was the one I had the meeting with. And I went to, uh, the Cobb County Civic Center and met him. And he, you know, looked at me, and I, you know, my hair was long. I had long brown hair, and uh, had that like Magnum P, you know, the Magnum PI mustache. And uh, he said, you know, yeah, I'm thinking about uh, a mohawk. And I'm thinking, and then they offered me, you know, seventy-five grand for my contract. And I was like, find someone to cut my hair off and take a pay cut to go do this shit. And I'm like, I, don't, I said, I wasn't too sure about doing it. And then I talked to my wife. She said, you know, it's time for you to get out of that strip club, you know, because we've had some problems there. And yeah, yeah. I, it, you know, sooner or later you're going to get, you're gonna get you know, shot or stabbed or something in one of those deals. So she, my wife wanted me to get out of that shit, not knowing that I'd be leaving one pirate ship to get on a fucking worse one. So uh, I just, you know, I, I, I said, fuck it, and went and got my hair done. And went, I was supposed to look like the dude from the the, 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 the Mad Max movie, that had the motorcycle that had the red mohawk. He had the little boy, the little bitch on the back. Yeah, I had the fucking open ass cheeks on the back of his leather. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, that. I was supposed to look like that guy. That right. was the look they were looking for. So I, they wanted me to mimic that look. So that's kind of where that whole, you know, thing came from. And you know, I went and had it had, had it done, and you know, came home, and you know, my wife looked at me like, what the fuck? And once again, like looking back at it, just a rib. You know, take a decent-looking guy and make him look like a fucking asshole. How long were you the Master Blaster before they uh, changed you up and switched you into the Oz gimmick? We had the, the Clash of Champions, 
and then we went on the road. And I was on the road for five days, came back, and what, uh, the last day there we were supposed to wrestle in Hammond, Indiana, and my, my part, I got up that morning, my, the, the guy that was my tag team partner just took off, went home. He wigged out. Just, yeah, just, you know, just couldn't do it. So now I, I go to Hammond, and I, I, I drive with Dutch and uh, Sid, and I got no partner. So I looked there, and Grizz, uh, opening match was Al Green versus somebody. I don't know who it was. And Al Green, they walked over and grabbed Alan and said, you're going you're gonna to wrestle with this kid in the tag, this guy. So, you know, we shook hands and went out there. And, you know, Al was a much better hand than the guy that was with that, that I had. Right. You know, Al had been around a couple of years, so at least I had some, the other guy was just fucking drizzling shits. I mean, they told me when they, you know, when they brought him in that this guy would, you know, be able to, you know, Work the match, and you just come in on the heat until you, you, know, you weren't so green. Well, how we get to down the first night and to go over the match with Armstrong and Horner, and, and Jody says, take, take an arm, and the fucking the guy, my partner, didn't even know how to take an arm. And I'm like, Jesus, man, we're, we're fucked. So, push forward, uh, me and Al, I think we got a, a win at Halloween Havoc against, uh, I forget what they were called, but it was uh, Armstrong and Smothers, and I think it was the Southern Boys or something like that. Yeah, Southern Boys, something like that. Yeah, Southern Boys. So we got a win. We, we got a win over them in Chicago at Halloween Havoc. So we were kind of getting a little bit of a push. So we went in Christmas time and had a two-segment match at Center Stage with the Steiners, and they were going to beat Al in the second segment uh, with the with uh, the bulldog, bulldog off the top with Robbie's finish and. Uh, we're in, the, we're in the room, and uh, Al says, ah, I think it's too, a little too soon to be beating us. And they asked me to excuse myself, and I left. And about two minutes later, Al came out and shaking his head and went into the room and grabbed his bag, and he was gone. <laughs> I said, so you're all I by yourself again. <laughs> yeah, I watched him go over and fucking erase the, erase the match to the fucking board. <laughs> and uh, I said, God damn. Here I am with a fucking mohawk. They looked at me and fucking said, throw your shit out. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm sensing we got a, uh, I'm sensing we have a repackage here with Oz. And before we get to that, I'm going to take care of a little bit more business and talk a little bit about Squarespace. And, you know, guys, if you're anything like me, you don't know Jack Squad about designing websites. But to be successful in today's world, you definitely need one. That's where Squarespace comes in so handy. Squarespace, an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, and online store. Squarespace includes hosting, analytics, 24-7 support, and even includes a free domain name when you sign up for a year. You start with clean, beautiful templates and then easily customize it to look exactly the way you want. Squarespace has a ton of drag-and-drop functionality. For example, if you want to add a picture... You add an image block and simply drag your image from your desktop to your site. Adding videos, text, audio, and other blocks of content is just as easy. Squarespace takes care of all the technical stuff so you can focus on making great content for your website. Last thing, with responsive design, your website automatically scales to fit perfectly on every device. Every Squarespace template has its own customized mobile view. It's 8 bucks a month for the standard plan, 16 for their unlimited plan, and 24 bucks for the unlimited plan in an online store. 
For a free trial, go to squarespace.com slash Steve Austin or go to podcastone.com and click on the Squarespace banner on the Steve Austin Show page. Then, when you're ready to purchase, click enter an offer code at checkout and use the offer code STEVE for 10% off. That's right, S-T-E-V-E. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. All right, coming back in, talking to Kevin Nash about the character change from Master Blaster, quickly segueing into Oz and talk a little bit about Vinny Vegas. And we're going to start talking to the ins and outs of the business and some heavy-duty shit here. Uh, Master Blaster short-lived. Here comes Oz. I remember seeing the pay-per-view when you debuted. You came out there. I mean, with, with that outfit on, you was about eight feet tall. And you had this wicked goddamn mask on. You pulled it off, and you had your eyes wide open. And I was thinking, man, what the fuck is going on here? What were you thinking when you made that debut? Well, I mean, they didn't see the outfit or nothing until day of. And they hand me this fucking deal, and it's just like, holy fuck, like another rib. I'm in a lime green outfit with a cape that weighs 200 fucking pounds. And they got a, I'm not only wearing a dunce cap, but I'm wearing a dunce cap with a rubber mask, and I'm going to pull an old man's face off and be me underneath it. Like, it, it, I think it be, maybe Minotaur might have been, have been the only thing that was any worse than that. I mean, just... I mean, yeah. fuck. From the, I'm looking at that... I'm, I'm, I'm looking at that motherfucking outfit going, like, well, I, like, once again, you know, back then it was... You know how it was, man. Fucking, they didn't want anybody to play. They wanted everybody to quit. But the rib was, I mean, when you got out on the road, you didn't have like a travel kit and maybe just, you know, just wear the green shit. It was a big, it was like a big five by five crate. I remember it. Oh. It was brutal. Fuck. I, I dragged a fucking, a, a, it was a rubber made fucking thing. And I had a fucking padlock on it. And, you know, I mean, it, it, the fucking thing must have weighed 75 pounds. That was just my gear, let alone fucking, you know, my, you know, my, 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 my clothes and shit. And this was, there weren't wheels on shit back then. Well, you know, there, there wasn't wheels back then. And, and why didn't that invention come around a little bit sooner? Because it could have saved you a ton of goddamn energy. You, you move into, from that, you end up Vinny Vegas. And I actually enjoyed Vinny Vegas. It was kind of a, a, a piece of who and what you are. You're a funny cat. Right. Take a lot of shit serious, but you don't give a shit about a lot of stuff. Kind of an endearing uh, character. How, how was your time as Vinny Vegas? I liked it because, I mean, like, I, that was the first time that I had any any input into what I was going to be. And I got a chance to talk, and I got a chance to be a jack-off, and, and I got a chance to have some fun. You know, during this time is when uh, the whole time Jim Ross was, like, the only guy that was kind of on my team. Right. And Jim and all, Jim Jim was doing a, a wrestling radio show out of Atlanta. He'd do it on Sundays. And I, I was like a frequent guest of his because like he, he was one of the few people that would sit around and, and actually listen to me and say, well, shit, this guy's smart and he's funny, and I'll put him on the radio. Jim was always an advocate for me. I mean, he was the one guy I always had in my corner. Right. And uh, which was a good guy to have. And, you know, I mean, yeah, he's one of the few stand-up fuckers that, you know, in the business, you know. You know, you liked it. You liked the character, and so so John Michaels. You know, Michaels, would, I guess, would, would, would saw me a couple times. He called Robbie Steiner, said, "Do you think Nash can get out of his contract? I'd like to be my bodyguard." Because nobody was selling for Sean in the WWF, and 
just jumped to it, man. I, you know, I, I got a phone call from Robbie there in Green Bay, and he said, hey, can you get out of your contract? I said, fuck yeah, I'll get out of it somehow. And I just drove the next set of TVs. I drove with Wyndham to uh, Dalton TVs and uh, just looked out the window the whole time. I didn't say a word, just, you know, tried to do the work. And he bit it and said, man, you're not yourself. What's up? I said, my wife says she's going to leave me if I don't get out of business. And he said, well, fuck, man, what are you going to do? I said, i got to get out of business. He said, well, talk to Ole. Went and talked to Ole uh, up at the WCW offices. Already had the offer to come to the WWF. Sat right there. Uh, got a, a release from a contract from Ole. Walked right over. Walked to the fax machine. Faxed that son of a bitch to Titan Tower to JJ. And I was in Albany, Georgia, or Albany, uh, New York, three nights later. Helping Shawn Michaels screw Marty Giannetti to get the Intercontinental belt on Raw the next Monday. Well, you know, before you left uh, WWF, and that was all on the kayfabe on the down low, but you and I started traveling together and struck up a good friendship, and we had some goddamn interesting times on the road. Uh, Times were tough back then. We were making decent coin, but we certainly weren't making top dollar. And I just come from, you know, making 15 to 20 bucks a, a night, you know, down in USWA, hooked up down there. And you know the deal when you walked into WCW, you was already making some okay money. But because you and me are, are the people that we were and still are, we stayed. We we made it a point to stay at the biggest shitbox hotels we could find as a rib to ourselves. One time we stayed in a little room. And it was, uh, that, remember that one door that didn't uh, meet at the top? There's about a two, three-inch gap because the door was too small on the hinges. You remember standing that so much? Yeah. Uh, we stayed in some of remember, remember the one place we stayed that it was like, um, I, I swear it was called the Christmas Tree Inn or something like that. But we always, like the, the funny thing was, we, 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 you know, we're notorious that, you know, people probably don't, realize this was as a professional wrestler you know there's there's no towels provided so when you work and you're on the road you've got to take a hotel from the right. towel from the hotel every night to have a, a towel to shower with when you get to the building well, all the top guys in, in wcw had these marriott towels and me and steve would show up with this you know thread bearing you know <laughs> shit towel that we had stole from some nineteen dollar a night motel <laughs> We stayed at the worst hotels we could find, and we rented the shittiest goddamn cars. And I remember at one time, oh. we had rented a Chevy Corsica. Now, I'm going to tell the, the Mazda 929 story in a minute, but we rented a Chevy Corsica, and you was driving. And I didn't hardly let anybody drive me on the road because I just didn't trust anybody. But you were always a goodwill man, still are. And we were coming around a corner in Chattanooga, Tennessee, in a Chevy Corsica. And you was kind of hauling ass, and that road was kind of grooved up. And somebody started skipping around the house, skipping across the road. And I just looked at you, and I remember saying this damn near verbatim. I said, "Dude, I think you got, you might have a little bit more confidence in this shit box than I do." I said, well, "Why don't you slow the fuck down?" You remember that shit? Oh uh, fuck! It was white with fucking red interior. Remember damn like right. Was <laughs> and then after after about six nine months of that shit, we thought we hit the big time one time, and we made reservations on a Mazda nine two nine. You remember that shit? Picked that some bitch up and, 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 and budget, and Marietta came out and picked you up. I mean, we were for leather. So I think it was the first time we ever had leather seats. <laughs> <laughs> like a couple of white pimps driving out. But see, now this is back in the day when the 929 had some fucking stroke, man. If you had a 929, oh, yeah. you were semi big time. <laughs> but 
God damn. Uh, you remember when we was driving down the road that night and we decided to cut the headlights off? You talking well, about first off, shit. The, name, there was the, the, the beer consumption was, 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 was pretty amazing between the two of us. What was that? I think the deal used, the beer, our beer consumption was pretty amazing. I think the, the, the deal was, especially because you, we used to drive your Civic a lot, too. Yeah, I had a little Honda CRX, that little egg car. Yeah, that little blue was blue, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's something that's just sweet. I mean, for just you and I, it was perfect. Our gear was like we, you know, we got good. Did that some bitch get like 40 miles to the gallon? Yeah, it was insane. And then people didn't understand when they saw you walking up to the car, that says, no way this big motherfucker's going to get in this car. But what they didn't realize was only a two-seater. You know, you could put that seat way back and you as yeah. comfortable as you would have been in a Mercedes. Well, I think the deal was, as you said, when you, you know you pay for the gas and I pay the, for the beer, which was a fucking horrible deal. <laughs> <laughs> it's a horrible deal. I got fucked yeah, on first that time one. I ever got over on you. <laughs> we like we always had a couple of songs like you know that we'd hear on the radio that we we'd go buy the, the cassette and play it over and over a million times in the car. And uh, we got we for some reason got that damn Janet Jackson cassette we were listening to that night in that nine two nine, and we were listening to one of them songs that you know some bullshit thing, and we're on a, on a back road somewhere, and I just we looked at each other and that we I don't know who made the decision we're gonna say how far we could drive at about seven miles an hour with the lights off. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> uh, why? I guess because we're bored and out there too long. I, I guess know. we'd have crashed. Your neck wouldn't be hurting right now. No, nah, hell no. Oh, well, we lived. But we had some good times. And the thing about uh, being on the road back in, and, and I hope it's still that way these days, was just the brotherhood aspect. You know, a couple of cats getting in the car, and there was many times if you and me weren't traveling together, you know, you'd get three, four, five, six, seven motherfuckers in a car or van just because that's what you had to do to make the town because you didn't have any dough. You're splitting all the damn cost of gas and cramming guys in a room. And it was all a, it was just all such a good time. And, uh, you know, the business was one of the highlights of my life. And uh, to be sitting here talking to you all these years later, and uh, both of us have been out of the business for quite some time, and you're still, you know, casually in it. But to maintain some of the friendships is, uh, you know, obviously an important part of my life. And what we're going to pick up on the next Steve Austin show, we're going to start right with Kevin Nash when he enters WWF as Diesel, running with Shawn Michaels. We're going to talk about him, the click, the MSG curtain call. Can't forget about that. Guaranteed money down in WCW. How those guys change the nature of the business. For Kevin Nash, this is Steve Austin on the Steve Austin Show, and I'll catch your ass down the road. This concludes another PodcastOne.com program. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.